0: So I want to thank you for joining me for this Talks now PSA. This is just a quick off-schedule public service announcement uh, regarding uh, recent events that we wanted to comment on. With me today is Andrew Stolbeck, an EM physician and medical toxicologist at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Uh, he is on the board of directors at ACMT and head of their positions statements committee. And this is regarding a position statement that was put out jointly by the American Academy of Clinical Toxicology along with the American College of Medical Toxicology. Uh, so both powerhouses came together to put out this statement and we're gonna talk to him today. Hopefully you learn a bit and keep yourselves safer. We'll put links to the position statement as well as links to some recent articles on this phenomenon on our website. That's TalksNow, T-O-X-N-O-W dot O-R-G on our Twitter feed, at TalksNow. This is Matt Zuckerman. The more you know. Essentially, one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you is uh, we were excited to read the joint position statement by the ACMT and uh, the AACT on uh, the preventing occupational fentanyl and fentanyl analog exposure to emergency responders, um, which... Uh, as most physician statements go, uh, the the title is, is is less captivating than the content. Yeah. So what was the what was the reasoning uh, behind the timing of the statement?
1: So the impetus for all this was actually months ago, uh, before the hype or even hysteria maybe um, happened around this. But the U.S. National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health (NIOSH) it's a part of the Centers for Disease Control put out a bulletin to law enforcement, public health workers and other folks um, telling them to be careful um, about being exposed to fentanyl analogs and recommended things like a P100 rated um, respirator, nitrile gloves, eye protection um, talked about potentially being around air fentanyl. i um, talked about, you know, needing coveralls with protective sleeves at times. And to us, it, didn't seem like that was a good one size fits all solution and we were hearing from EMS medical directors and, and other people that this could actually create a lot of barriers to care instead of helping
0: patients. And what do you think prompted that really? It seems like over the last year or two I've on my news alerts I'll occasionally get a notice you know of of local law enforcement officer, um, or more recently, there was a case in Ohio of uh, three nurses that were uh, gotten naloxone after uh, a presumed uh, fentanyl exposure. And so I, I feel like that that um, uh, in the press uh, kind of drove some of the increased concern by NIOSH and some of the authorities. And part of this is just because we're seeing a shift from just straight-up heroin or oxy to a much higher incidence of fentanyl and high-potency um, uh, variants contaminating the opiate supply. And so, in theory, the potency has gone up. The amount of drug that you create the side effects has gone up. But, but then it doesn't necessarily, at the end of the day, change you know basic uh, pharmacokinetic Uh, Parameters in terms of absorption and exposure, and these are these are substances that addicts use all the time um, uh, without accidental exposure. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can imagine how something
1: like this could easily happen. You know, these guys are responding to a call, and they've all seen the other news stories of people who touch it and pass out and get sick, right? They they've seen those stories too, and so. You know, maybe they finish a call and they're walking out, and one of them sees, "Hey, Steve, you got some powder on your uniform, or some, some it's on your arm. Are you okay?" You know, you've seen those cases, right, about people that just absorb it through their skin and, and drop dead and need naloxone, and and the guy says, "Well, I, I think I feel okay," and you know, and then a minute later he's, you know, "I, I think I feel a little dizzy," and a minute after that he's freaking out he's like i think i feel a little dizzy and i have palpitations i mean it's easy to imagine how the whole thing could spiral out of control and then of, of course if you take him to a, an emergency department you know emergency physician might say oh you say you were you were exposed to fentanyl maybe you know i'll give you some naloxone it's not going to hurt you like you said um and now not only do we have somebody who said they were exposed and had symptoms but they've actually gotten the antidote and you know so then you get the antidote so what are you going to do you're going to probably watch the guy for two hours because you know that's that's what your algorithm tells you you need to do when you give them naloxone. And at the end of the day, the whole thing, you'll you'll probably discharge him with a diagnosis of opioid exposure or fentanyl exposure. You're not going to do any drug testing for it. The 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 guy looks great, and um, the story will be that somebody who was exposed to fentanyl, got sick, got naloxone, and was discharged with a diagnosis that looks consistent with all that to everybody, you know, all the lay folks. And, and I think it it's easy to see how that would happen.
0: Yeah, and it it um it feeds into a very real concern and anxiety over an increasing fentanyl epidemic and a very real recognition that first responders, police, EMS, others do really put themselves in harm's way every day. And so we definitely want to respect the risks that they take in doing that. At the same time, um, I think it's it's the job of a toxicologist to kind of nerd out a little bit and, uh, and after we hear a story like this, which is what we typically do, right? We're, we're, the world comes up with natural experiments, and then we sort of take a look at it. So that was a great background as to why they wanted to put it out when they did and what they were responding to. But so what does the statement break down? What were the thoughts of, of the science uh, behind it? So
1: we're trying to do a few things with our statement, and a, and a few things that are really, can, can sometimes maybe be even a little bit at odds with each other. So we're trying to say, on one hand, that we think the risk of a clinically significant unintentional exposure is really low. Um, we haven't seen any credible reports yet. Um, we think the risk is low, and we think that because you know the easiest way to be exposed to anything is is dermally, and this phenyls are not absorbed great um, transdermally. We know they're absorbed somewhat transdermally. Um, because you can make a fentanyl patch, but you know we' going through the math, we just don't see how it could be absorbed fast enough or in high enough doses for something to be you know accidentally poison you.
0: That makes a great point, right? Yeah. So fentanyl patches are specifically designed to, for transdermal delivery of opiates. It's one of the reasons why you don't see transdermal morphine patches or transdermal oxy patches because the, the fentanyl is high enough potency and its chemical structure is enough to allow it to absorb. And even then, you know, you have to have it on for a long time. And realistically, even though we'll talk about 25 microgram patches or 50 microgram patches, a lot of those patches, my understanding is that they have milligrams of drug in there to deliver to overcome the difficulty to overcome the concentration gradient and the and the absorption difficulties to get people to absorb micrograms of drug.
1: Exactly right. It's these patches are complex medication delivery systems. They put a lot of drug on one side of the barrier, your skin, in order to create that concentration gradient to get it across the, into your bloodstream. And it's you know it's got to be moist often dissolved in a special vehicle these are all conditions that just don't exist when you get some loose fentanyl powder on your hand or your arm or or wherever
0: yeah a great point is similar would be like emla which is you know a nice emollient absorption for for lidocaine versus let which typically you can only use on like open wounds and it's because our skin is designed to keep stuff out
1: yeah And, and so we just don't we don't think it can be absorbable dermally and then you look at other routes of exposure inhalation yeah fentanyl if you inhale it you're going to absorb a lot of it it's, it's absorbed pretty well inhalationally but how is it going to get up in the air well it could get up in the air only if it was really jostled or something exploded then there, there'd be dust in the air and because the stuff doesn't have um, high vapor pressure so it just doesn't spontaneously you know dissolve into the air so so we're telling people that if just you know doing a normal drug bust or Taking care of a run-of-the-mill patient who has fentanyl sitting there in a bag or on a table, you don't have to worry about inhaling it.
0: Okay, so if I leave my cup of fentanyl on the counter, like I'm going to go do something and then I come back, it should all still be there, unless, unless, unless Mikey got into it. Okay, <laughs> that's exactly right. So it's not going to it's not going to vaporize. Um, however, in theory, if a, an evil henchman took a bunch of fentanyl and blew it into your face and you instantly breathed it in, under those circumstances might be, I mean, realistically, the only way I could conceive of a clinically significant exposure.
1: So it can be absorbed, and I think that that's the point, right? It's not that it's impossible. We just don't think under usual conditions, it's something that's people taking reasonable precautions is something that's to worry about. But yeah, if through a a combination of either errors in handling it, if, you know, somebody opens a bag to smell what's inside of it and they accidentally, you know, inhale a bunch of fentanyl, yeah, they can get sick. And that's why we tell people to take reasonable precautions. But that's how why we get to the second part of our statement. So the first part of our statement is talking to people about how we really don't think this is going to be a major problem because it doesn't go through your skin well, it doesn't get up, up into the air very well. But the, the second part of our statement is if it does get absorbed, if you somehow do get it, into your system if you get real opioid poisoning it's not the end of the world because we have naloxone we have airway support so we give recommendations on what we want people to do and you know we're, we're recommending to first responders um, people that are be around this a lot um, be around fentanyl or analogs or the analogs are they should just be trained to recognize the symptoms of opioid intoxication have naloxone readily available so if you see those real symptoms respiratory depression you know real opioid intoxication you can give naloxone and we expect this to be very very rare the reassuring thing is that if it does happen it's something that we can absolutely
0: treat and we see that all the time there are some different trainings in terms of ems responders and even even physician responders where i'll see someone who looks a little sleepy but is breathing fine and is otherwise awake and arousable and gets naloxone and a lot of people would say that's an inappropriate administration Whereas it sounds like the statement really cautions people, even if there is a suspected exposure and someone has symptoms, the things that should drive administration of naloxone are respiratory depression or sort of real CNS depression with um, opioid symptoms, you know, small pupils, um, decreased worker breathing.
1: We we say objective signs of hypoventilation. Um, What we don't want to happen is, you know, these cases that we hear where somebody Mm -hmm. has vague symptoms like dizziness or palpitations or anxiety, um, that kind of stuff. We don't want that to become an indication for naloxone.
0: And then are you – I don't know that the statement – so I think the statement does a really good job of explaining the why and explaining the what to do. Um, It seems like the other thing that we're missing is data. And so if there is truly an exposure, it seems like the next step would be confirmatory testing.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see um, somebody study either – um, biomarkers of exposure in emergency responders that are around fentanyl a lot, you know urine urine, fentanyl and metabolites um, around people that are around it a lot or doing these busts or taking care of these patients. I think we would find that these people generally aren't getting any absorbed in their bloodstream at all. Um, and uh, it would also be really interesting for people who are, who present with exposure to, you know, have specimens taken, blood and or urine, so that we can test these later to see if it was, you know, if they really did get a a, a urine level. And and I don't know that if that's happening. I certainly haven't seen um, in any of the cases I've read about. I haven't read about any of them being confirmed with levels.
0: No, that would be really important. And that's, I mean, I think I feel like right now that would be publishable because right now the the data is is weak. And um and so knowing or not knowing would be helpful. That's often, I find, like where we dropped the ball, where we had the, you know, the fentanyl adulteration in the Northeast, which eventually kind of spread throughout the country. Initially, people were seeing these overdoses and suspecting something else was going on, but we just, we don't test when we should. Uh, and so uh, confirmatory testing, while not a required part of clinical practice, would certainly contribute to the body of knowledge on these uh, particular exposures. Absolutely. And then that would be good because the reality is if it turns out that some of these exposures are either exposures that don't meet criteria for naloxone, so don't need uh, intervention, or exposures that are due to other factors, such as anxiety, or if you're in a small space and it's dusty and you're just, your asthma is flaring up, well then that might help because because whenever we give recommendations for increased protective equipment, and whenever we give, whenever we tell someone before they go into an environment, you might get exposed to a lethal substance right now, I feel like that sometimes adds to the chaos of a situation, and and as you brought up earlier, can impair provision of care.
1: Yeah, so there's, two real problems that we worry about with making unnecessary recommendations. Because on the surface, it sounds like, oh, yeah, the more protective we are, the better. What could possibly go wrong? So the first concern, the minor concern, is devoting too much money and resources to unnecessary PPE. So if we get, you know, spend money on fancy respirators and personal protective equipment, coveralls and all this sort of stuff, we're not devoting those resources to other places that we could help make EMS lives easier and help take care of patients uh, that, that's less of a concern our bigger concern is that if a first responder has to feels like they have to spend all this time putting on ppe that's time that they're not attending to the patient and then a patient who needs naloxone desperately at that moment to save their life that time could be absolutely crucial and just a few minutes could be absolutely crucial and so we don't want people, we don't want our first responders to feel like they need to do that. And I, I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't ask them to do anything that I thought put them in danger. But based on my understanding of the science of fentanyl absorption, I think that it's perfectly safe if people just take the, you know, reasonable precautions that we talk about in our statement, wearing gloves, wearing a, a N95 mask, only if you see dust floating in the air. And then, you know, for these really heavy exposures that we think are going to be the exception and not the rule, that's when you, you can need, like, coveralls and splash protection and all that kind of stuff.
0: One, one tiny question uh, just to ask. So if it, if it is so hard to absorb this through your skin and it takes, you know, minutes or hours or longer, what was the driving uh, recommendation for the nitrile gloves to begin with?
1: Yeah, and, and so... No, I was asked, what would I do if I got fentanyl on my hand? And I said, you know, I would go to the sink and I would wash it off and I wouldn't think twice. Yeah, so the stuff isn't absorbed well, but it is absorbed. And so it's probably, it's probably just good patient care anyway for people to be wearing gloves. So we think that's a reasonable recommendation. But if people weren't wearing gloves and get it on your hand and you, you just wash it off in the next few minutes, we wouldn't expect any problem.
0: Okay. No, I think that's 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 fantastic. I I very much appreciate your taking the time to uh explain the statement and I think it's part of our role as as toxicologists to speak up when we sometimes see uh a story getting ahead of the science. Uh so I appreciate that. It reminds me a lot of kind of the crocodile explosion and that happened last year or the year before where it seemed like uh media reports were almost driving uh, uh clinical uh, uh reports.
1: Yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of HIV, you know, the dawn of that epidemic um, where people were afraid to take care of patients. And so I think, but, you know, part of our job is to reassure other providers and other people that are going to be taking care of patients that, you know, there's a safe way to do this. And, you you know, if you follow reasonable precautions, you don't have to worry about um, getting exposed. And, And if you do, we have a way to take care of that also.
0: Well, that is a great point to end on. I want to thank you for listening today. Once again, head to our website, TalksNow.org, for the links to the position statement and supporting articles. And I want to thank Dr. Stolbeck for coming on today. Reminder that TalksNow is made possible by support from the AACT. This is Matt Zuckerman signing off.